Matthew's the first gospel, and right after him is Mark, and we're going to be at Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read a few verses beginning at verse number 13, Mark chapter 10 and verse number 13. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer, or in the King James' word means to allow, the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. With the idea of our vacation Bible school beginning tomorrow, and the great opportunities that we have with regards to a children's ministry, I want to preach this morning about the value of children. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you don't leave us alone, but you desire for us to be drawn closer to you. And Lord, this is an opportunity right now where we can draw close to thee by hearing and heeding the word of God. So I pray that what we hear today, that our hearts would be pricked and that we would follow what you want us to do. Thank you for the children's ministry you've allowed us to have. All that we've been able to accomplish has been because you've allowed it to happen. May we be faithful at getting out to bring boys and girls, moms and dads to come to church. Help us to be faithful at sharing the gospel Thank you for this year. I think I heard this calendar year already some 15 boys and girls have placed their faith in Jesus. What a joy. Help us, Lord, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. To some people who may have not had children or your children are already out, you look at a children's ministry and you might think to yourself, you know, It doesn't seem very profitable to invest time, energy, and money into a children's ministry. Kind of reminds me of a story, I've told this before, but it's a story that is about two young boys by the name of Ryan and Scotty. When Ryan and Scotty were young boys, they always got into trouble. Whenever something went wrong at school or in the neighborhood, everybody knew who to blame. It was Ryan and Scotty's fault. Their parents really didn't know what to do with them because their, their rowdiness had just gotten out of control. So finally one day, they went to one of the local pastors and they said, Would you sit down with Ryan and Scotty and would you help them because we're really at our wit's end? The pastor agreed. Well, the pastor sat down Ryan first in his office and Ryan sat down and sat across from the pastor and looked at that huge mahogany desk and The pastor didn't say anything for five minutes, but just stared Ryan right in the eyeballs. No words were spoken, but boy, this boy is starting to squirm as he's looking back at the pastor. And finally, the pastor pointed his finger at Ryan, and he said with a very stern voice this question, 
Where is God? Ryan looked under the desk in the corner of the room, out the window, but said nothing. And so the pastor, once again, with his finger pointed, he said, Where is God? Ryan panicked by that second question being asked again, and he ran all the way home. Finding his brother up in the bedroom, Scotty, he said to him, We are in big trouble, Scotty. Scotty said, Why? What do you mean we're in big trouble? Ryan looked at him, he said, God is missing, and they think we had something to do with it. Now really, it's easy for us to think that kids just get into trouble, that they're a bother, and that they frankly don't mean or matter much. But Jesus took time to minister to children. You realize on two occasions when Jesus fed large groups of people, the Bible says that there were 5,000 men present at one feeding and 4,000 men present at another feeding. But it also mentions that there were women and children that were there. The gospel writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were careful to list that there were children involved. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus called a little child to him and actually had him stand among the disciples. It strikes me that Jesus didn't have to go looking for a child. There was one obviously right nearby. I think children were around Jesus at all the times. When Jesus made his last entry into Jerusalem, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 14, it is quite striking to note that it was the children in the temple area who cried out, Hosanna, the son of David. Later, when Jesus is looking out over the city of Jerusalem, he says, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. The text that I read to you today, we see that Jesus extended grace to his ki- to children in a rather unique way, and if they were special to Jesus, we need to see why and learn what our role should be when it comes to children. Three things I'd like to give you from this passage. First of all, in verses 13 to 14, I want you to notice that children are worth something to Jesus, therefore bring them in. Children are worth something to Jesus, therefore bring them in. Please notice here in verse number 13 that people were bringing children to Jesus. In other words, when you look at these verses, the very tense of the words indicates that this was something that was customarily done. It happened all the time. These parents knew that their children mattered to Jesus. They knew that their kids were welcome around the Savior. They knew that their kids would be prayed for and blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. These parents didn't even have to think about it twice. They weren't worried about Jesus turning His back on them or their kids. 
And I'm quite sure that they noted how Jesus had treated children on many different occasions. So they no doubt wanted their children to be ministered by Jesus. But there was a problem. And the problem was the disciples. The disciples didn't like the interruption. They were kind of acting as the bodyguards and the protectors of Jesus. And so what we read in our text is that they scolded the parents for bringing these children to Jesus. Why couldn't these children just go ahead and go out and play? Go find some playground. Go find some field to run in. But leave the Lord Jesus alone. He has more important business with the adults that are here. But the disciples, in fact, the Bible tells us, They rebuke the parents. The word rebuke is a very strong word. It is the same word that is used of Jesus when he rebuked the wind in Mark chapter 4. It literally means to muzzle. It has the idea of strictly forbidding something with the threat of punishment if the command is not obeyed. And what they didn't seem to realize, these disciples is that Jesus was someone who really did care about the children. He cared much more than they did. You see, the disciples didn't seem to value children. Children weren't important to them. To the disciples, real ministry was the kind that reached the adults. Kids were just a nuisance. Now, can I say before we start harping on the disciples... There are some of us sometimes who look at children as a nuisance. I'm not talking about misbehavior. I understand that. I understand problems that arise, but children were around Jesus. Jesus loved them. Jesus invited them to be around Him. So should we. It's interesting in verse number 14 of our text how the Bible says that Jesus was much displeased with the disciples for their rebuking of the parents. The word that is there for much displeased, the the Greek word behind that, it comes from a compound word meaning to grieve much. It's the only time that this Greek word is used in the entire New Testament. And this thought of the disciples pushing the parents aside and trying to get rid of the children made Jesus both angry and extremely sad. No one should ever think of children as unimportant. And therefore, Jesus would not tolerate this attitude amongst his disciples, and he does not intolerate it amongst his followers today. Now, I really believe you and I cannot read this passage of Scripture without thinking something about Jesus and why these parents always brought their children to Jesus. There was something attractive about Jesus. There was something beautiful about His nature. There was something that was about His Spirit that caused the children to be attracted to Him. They loved Him immediately. They wanted to come to Him. Therefore, when children want to come to Jesus, we ought not as a church or as individuals to put any obstacles in the way of children coming. To say it more positively, You and I as a church need to keep these doors open whereby children of every age, of every color, of every background can come in and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I have a limited window of opportunity. 
Oh, there's not much time that I see that we have. But as a church, as parents, as grandparents, you and I ought to keep these doors open. This is why we've gone through all this effort. I can't tell you how many hours have gone on in the decoration. I can't tell you how many hours have gone on in the preparation, the lesson preparation, the phone calls that have been made, the visits that have been made, everything that has been done for this week. But we are doing this this week to encourage children to be a part of Calvary Baptist Church. A few years ago, we started the Kids Jam Ministry on Wednesday evenings, and praise God for what's going on there. The Kids City Program going on right now on Sunday mornings. The Patch Club on Sunday evenings. The Lord has allowed us to re-engage with a bus ministry once again, to pick up boys and girls whose parents won't bother taking their children. Remember when I first came to Calvary, we barely had any children here at all. I mean, I was just about the youngest person in the group. We might have had teenagers around, but we didn't have a lot of children. I remember many times I'd be preaching those first few months, and we'd have the nursery workers come in because there would be no children in the nursery. Every once in a while, we'd have a child in the nursery, but that's because one of the grandparents in our audience, their grandchildren would be coming to visit, and they, there was a little baby in the nursery. But praise God, over time, we've seen, and look at the number of children we had here that were singing this morning. What a beautiful thing. We're averaging over 20 children on Sunday mornings. We're averaging almost 50 children every Wednesday night. But I want to tell you, we ought not to sit back and just applaud the gains of what has happened over the last few years. We must press forward and reach children for the sake of the gospel. Think with me of the awesome and daunting task that is before us in this area. I just did some simple math. I took the five Englewood schools here, two uh, uh, middle schools and three uh, public uh, elementary schools here. And do you realize there are over 2,300 children in those five schools? We have maybe 20 children here this morning, averaging about 50 on Wednesday night. But I'm telling you, we're just getting to a drop of the bucket and reaching children. And we have a job to do. Verse 14 tells us Jesus' words here. He says about the children, Forbid them not. This verse helps me to see that kids by nature want to come to Jesus, but it is we as adults who often stand in the way. And I think because of the high value that Jesus placed on children, He gives a strong warning to anyone who becomes a hindrance to children. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 5 through 6. Listen to these words. Jesus is speaking here. Whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. You and I ought not to do anything anything to hinder children, neither should we do anything to hurt children. My heart is saddened over the cases that I hear from time to time of children that have been molested and abused. Let me say to you today, I know we're sitting in church, but if you're hurting a child, God rest your soul of what you're doing. Oh my, how we ought to be careful when it comes to children. 
So children are worth something to Jesus. Therefore, bring them in. But number two, I want you to notice, children are loved by Jesus. Therefore, we ought to bless them with His love. It's interesting as we read this passage, notice the touching hand of Jesus. Notice the blessing that He pours out as He goes from child to child and and just puts His hand upon them. You know, it was common in this day that children would bring their, uh, or parents would bring their children to the rabbi, and the rabbi, along with the parents, would place their hands on that child, and that rabbi would say a particular blessing upon the children. You realize that the master here today, the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, every time that children came around him, he would put his hand upon them and he would bless them. You realize a physical touch goes a long way. A little four-year-old girl became frightened late one night during a thunderstorm. After a particular loud clap of thunder, this little girl jumped from her bed, ran down the hall, ran into her parents' room, and she jumped right into the middle of the bed between her mom and dad. Her dad kind of put his arm around her. He said, don't worry, honey. Everything's going to be all right. The Lord will protect you. The little girl snuggled a little bit closer to her father and said, I know that God will protect me, Daddy, but right now I need somebody with some skin on them. You realize in this little scripture that we read here today that the little children had someone more than just with skin on. They had God with skin on, the person of Jesus Christ. And you and I are here today as a church representing Jesus, if you will, with skin on to represent to these little youngsters. May I say that children, they need little hugs. Now sadly today, because of all things that are going on, I think it's important. I give little side hugs to children. Now once in a while, I I can't get away from it, and a kid will just come up and they'll wrap their arms around me. But most of the time, if I initiate something, I will just give them a little side hug, or I'll go over and I'll pat them on the head. Christian counselors agree that the first meaningful component of blessing others is meaningful touch. In fact, uh, Trent and Smalley in their particular book here, they make this statement, it communicates, that is this meaningful touch, it communicates warmth, personal acceptance, affirmation, even physical health. In 1945, a research project was conducted and was entitled Infants and Institutions. The project sought to discover the effect, if any, of the personal touch and personal attention given to babies. Listen to the outcome. One group of babies was given continual attention and affection. Seldom did a minute pass that physical care and adoration was not expressed. But the second group of babies was ignored and left to fend them for themselves with the exception of meals provided and the conclusions were as expected. Those children who had been deprived of attention and treated as if no one cared or concerned for them, they existed and were shown to have high rates of vulnerability to illness. Consider this story from the book, The Blessings, by John Trent and Gary Smalley. They write about this illustration about a freelance reporter from the New York Times was interviewing a woman that you probably all are familiar with, Marilyn Monroe. She was aware, 
this reporter, of Marilyn's past and the fact that during her early years, Marilyn had been shuffled from one foster home to the next. And so the reporter asked Marilyn, did you ever feel loved by any of the foster families with whom you lived? One, Marilyn replied. When I was about seven or eight, the woman I was living with was putting on makeup and I was watching her. She was in a very happy mood, so she reached over and patted my cheeks with her uh, little puff there, and for that moment, I felt loved by her. Marilyn had tears in her eyes as she was relaying this to the reporter and thinking about this event. Why? That touch only lasted a few seconds, and it happened years before in Marilyn's life. It was even done in a very casual, playful way, not in any attempt to communicate great warmth or meaning, but as a small as an act as it was, it was like pouring buckets of love and security on the parched life of a little girl starved for affection. When children come here, they ought to know that you and I love them by the affection we show them. Now, I want to tell you that there must be spiritual blessings that accompany that touch, if you will. There is no sense in bringing children here just to tell them that we love them. We need to express in every way possible that God loves them. And why we're going through the efforts of having them come here, because it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole reason of bringing children in is to share with them the true love of Jesus and how they can be saved. You know, there's a startling statistic that came out from Child Evangelism Fellowship. It estimates that approximately 85% of those who come to Jesus Christ do so before the age of 21. And many of those who come to Christ later in life do so as a result because there were some seeds sown in their life early on in childhood. How amazing it is that the older a person gets without becoming a Christian, the less likely they are to become a Christian. James Dobson has said, we must make the salvation of our children our number one priority. Nothing else is more important. There's a great preacher in the 19th century by the name of Horatius Bonar. He went ahead and asked 253 of his friends who were Christians about the age at which they were converted. Here's what he discovered. Those who were saved over age 70, zero. Between the ages of 60 and 70, one. Between the ages of 50 and 60, three. Between the ages of 40 and 50, four. Between 30 and 40, 22. Between the ages of 20 and 30, 85. But those that were saved under 20 years of age, 138. The statistics are overwhelming. The best thing that you and I can do is to bring these children so they can hear the glorious gospel before it is eternally too late. The wonderful preacher from back in the 1900s, D.L. Moody, had gotten back from a particular evangelistic meeting and he reported with some of his team about the findings and he said that there were two and a half conversions. 
Somebody looked at him. They said, oh, two adults and one child. And Moody said, no, two children. Two children and one adult. The children have their whole life to give. The adult only has half a life to give. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see on a weekly basis children coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, new children coming in, hearing the gospel, and getting saved? Well, may I say from this passage that children are worth something to Jesus, therefore we ought to bring them in. Children are loved by Jesus, therefore we ought to bless them with His love. But now here's the real crux of it. Children are living pictures of eternal, eternal truth, therefore we ought to learn from them. Look at verses 14 and 15, if you will. Please note these verses here. Something very interesting. I want you to notice why we're to bring children in. First of all, number one, it's for their sake. Number two, it is for our sake. Children are valued for who they are, and they serve as living pictures of deep spiritual truths. What are those truths? Look at verse 14 and 15. There are strong but strange words in these verses. In other words, if I were to summarize verses 14 and 15, you and I must become as a little child to enter into heaven. What's Jesus saying in these words? Notice verse 14. Jesus did not say, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of these is the kingdom of heaven. No, no. Rather, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. He did not say in verse number 15, receive the kingdom of God when you are a little child, but rather receive the kingdom of God as a little child. What's the difference in all that? Jesus is really saying by the words in verse 14 of such and in verse 15 as, is that these children represent the kind of people who will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's stop and think about something. Why did God decide that there should be children? I know some of you parents are probably asking that right now. Somebody put it this way, have you ever asked yourself why God designed the world so that human race multiplies by having babies who take years to become adults? They further said, why didn't God design people so that they multiply like earthworms, where one adult splits to become another adult? Why did God decide that there should be children and just not simply adults? Well, may I say that at the heart of the answer is this, children are precious in their own right, and they stand for something bigger than themselves. They model the kind of dependence, helplessness, insufficiency, and faith that is required of adults in the spiritual realm of God's kingdom. Can I say, if you want to grow as a Christian, you need to learn from little children. Notice how dependent they are. Notice how easily trusting they are. That faith. You and I, when we're given something by God, we're like, oh God, I don't know if I can trust you. Guess what a child does? All right, I'll go. You want to take me? I'll go. 
Boy, there's such an innocence, there's such a wonderful truth about children that you and I can learn in the Christian life. And may I say to you today that it doesn't just apply to those that are saved today, but those of you that are here today without Jesus Christ, may I say that you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become as a little child. You mean, preacher, i got to become seven years old again? No, no. you got to come to God in the same attitude as a child, and that is completely dependent upon God. You must simply, by simple childlike faith, acknowledge you are a sinner, that there's no way to heaven, and you are completely dependent upon God to provide you that salvation. And unless you come to God in those terms, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You and I learn wonderful truths from watching children. We learn about humility. I love the innocence and humility of children. It's the pride in adults that sometimes bothers us all too much, isn't it? I love the simplicity of faith in children. Because of those of us in our work field, in business, in politics, we've been lied to, manipulated, taken for granted, and we have learned to be skeptical about everyone around us. How wonderful it is to get around children and find the simplicity of faith. That's what you and I need. But children show us how to receive a gift. That is, they show us how to receive a gift willingly and without thinking there has to be any strings attached. Children teach us eternal truths. Now this week, we have a great task before us. This isn't for us just, oh, this is VBS. No, this is VBS. This is valuable. It's important. Because these children, if the Lord tarries and doesn't come for a number of years, if these children come and get saved, they have a whole life ahead of them to live for Christ. And we have the opportunity to share the gospel. Wow. Powerful. I'm looking forward to this week. And I hope you're involved. I hope you're praying. As I close this morning, I'm reminded of a Young girl, there'll be a picture put on the screen. This little girl, you may not know her at all. But on May 29, 2016, nine-year-old Diana Alvarez was found missing from her home in South Fort Myers, Florida. For almost four years, the investigation went on to find this young girl. And finally, almost four years later, March 17, 2020, the remains of this young girl were found about 140 miles away from her home. It was said that there was a family friend who had lived with them for a time, but these, the family of Diana finally found out that this friend actually had been molesting her. They had found on his phone that he had some uh, explicit photographs of this young nine-year-old girl on his phone. And for whatever reason, he was accused here of not only sexually assaulting, but he had been accused of murdering this young girl. But what makes this story so interesting to me is that this young nine-year-old girl was scheduled on that May 29th, which happened to be a Sunday. She was scheduled to ride the church bus at the church where I had been associate pastor for over 20 years. 
my wife and I had left there in early 2015 and we had passed by that little girl. I wouldn't say I knew her well, and she knew me, she, but she knew who I was as associate pastor. I'm quite sure that there'd be times that I had patted my head on her and told her I was so glad to see her. But now, that morning when she was to be picked up by a group of people who loved her, who were going to give her the Word of God, found out later that day that she had gone missing. I'm glad to know as I began to investigate with the people at the church that this young girl, Diana, previous to this time of her missing, she had placed her faith in Jesus Christ. Now can I say to you today that there is so much fighting against our kids today. There are so many spiritual struggles. There are so many things that are going on today in the schools and in our neighborhoods and all around our communities that are a spiritual detriment to our kids. And that's why we open our doors. That's why we invite Girls like little Diana to come and young boys to come so we can love on them and bless them as the Lord would and we can give them the gospel so they can be saved and know that there is a God in heaven. Though there's, there's a world of hate around us, they can know that there's a God who loves them. God has been using us and will continue using us to share the love of Jesus Christ. May God truly help us.